Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Welcome to the CDO Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Malcolm Hawker. The CDO Matters Podcast aims to help chief data officers succeed in their roles by providing the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations needed for CDOs to bridge the gap between the tactical world of data management and the realities of an ever-changing business landscape. In today's episode of CDO Matters, I talk with Dr. Cheryl Flick, an author and noted researcher in the field of human-centered design and social psychology. In today's discussion, we focus our attention on the notion of doing well and doing good through human-centered digital transformation leadership. Myself and Dr. Flink talk about what it really means to be focused on not just financial value or business value or business outcomes, but on social value and individual value and how the intersection of human-centered design and digital transformation can yield truly, truly spectacular results for corporations. We talk about the very notion of digital transformation itself and how it's defined. We talk about digital transformation being essentially, first and foremost, a culture change and a pivot within an organization to allow it to withstand the constant barrage of disruptions, particularly those coming from new technologies. I welcome Chief Data Officers to indulge in this episode of CDO Matters, especially those that have been given the mandate to execute on a digital transformation initiative within their organization. So without further ado, let's get to our episode of CDO Matters with Dr. Cheryl Flink. Welcome to another episode of CDO Matters. I am your host, Malcolm Hawker, and I'm honored today to have a guest, uh, Cheryl Flink. Cheryl is going to be talking today about human-centered leadership. There she is. Uh, I met Cheryl on an airplane. Uh, but it's not quite what you would think uh, when, when you think about people meeting on, on an airplane. Uh, Cheryl and I met on an airplane that was parked on the tarmac at this amazing place called the TWA Hotel at the JFK Airport in New York. And the airplane we were in actually has a name. It's, it's Connie, which was uh, short for a, a constellation, which was kind of the last great uh, airliner that was not jet powered. It was a propeller plane, but it was the it was the... The, the, the plane that was kind of going, tra- the first to go transatlantic, uh, for any, anybody who remembers or seen the footage, when the Beatles came to America, they got off a Lockheed Constellation. Um, and it was just the coolest, neatest thing to be in an environment, in an airplane at this airport. It was a part of a conference, which was also cool as well. But uh, Cheryl and I had a great conversation about human-centered leadership. And, and at that moment, I was like, aha, I need to know more. And I think the people that I work with, particularly chief data officers and other in the data analytics field, really need to hear more about this because I think that this is this is a way of thinking for leadership that is innovative, uh, that can drive some really transform- transformative changes within organizations, and can cer- certainly support uh, those transformative uh, engagements that you're working on. So, 
that's 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 a big lead in Cheryl um, if if you could just take a couple of minutes uh, what I already didn't describe your, your role and things that you're working on I know you got an exciting new project coming out if you could take a few minutes to introduce yourself and talk about your background that'd be wonderful That'd be great, Malcolm, and thank you for that kind introduction. And I have to say, Connie was a fascinating way to go way, way back in time. Yeah. So I am Dr. Cheryl Flink, and I'm an executive leader who, like many of you, my career has been in the intersection between data analytics and technology. My PhD is in social psychology. And you might say, what the heck does that have to do with all of these things? And it really stems from research and methods and statistics. And over the years, that degree has obviously evolved to be in the world of data sciences, AI, et cetera. Um, that career has been super eclectic. I started out in market research and human factors engineering. I went to leading data analytics teams. I took on the role of chief strategy officer and marketing automation roles. And my last role was at the Center for Creative Leadership, where I had the honor of leading CCL's leadership research and analytics team. And in that process, I became really fascinated with how much of technology's success depends on people and the way we lead people. So right now, I am consulting with organizations who want to focus on human-centered digital transformation leadership. And we'll talk about what that means, all those things. And then how we measure the ROI of the way we invest in um, human beings. What is that ROI for human capital investments? Um, one of the things we'll talk about later, I have a new book co-authored with two of my CCL colleagues, Leora Gross and Bill Pasmore. It's coming out in March, hopefully. Um, I think actually that will we'll beat that date. And it's called Doing Well and Doing Good, Human-Centered Digital Transformation Leadership. Fantastic. So let, let's peel the onion a little bit more. There, there was a lot of nuggets buried in, 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 in what you just discussed. I'm fascinated by better understanding some of the kind of incentives here um, and the tiebacks to, from, from human-centered leadership to, to, to incentive, into incentives and what motivates people. But let's start at the top. Uh, could you take some time to just kind of explain what human-centered leadership really is and, it's, and, and why a chief data officer or other senior executives who are, who are watching or listening to this today should be aware of human-centered leadership? I really think it's one of the most important things we need to be thinking about right now for the future of mankind. So we know that we are standing on the brink of an enormous technological revolution, and it's actually going to change the way that we live and we work and we relate to one another. We already see in the news and the media, but we see ways that technology and humans are becoming more and more intertwined. So some of those examples include robots that come in and help the elderly. Fascinating, interesting. Are they replacing the roles of human people who took care of those elderly and are elderly expected to form a relationship with a robot or will they be missing that human connection? There are AI algorithms that are um, increasingly making decisions for us. And those decisions have a lot of societal implications. It has to do with, is someone going to be incarcerated? Is someone going to be hired? Is someone going to get a mortgage loan? All of these types of things are starting to happen in digital technology. And the question becomes, as leaders of this digital technology, 
as leaders of our teams and the people creating that technology, are we really thinking about how we're creating human value, not just financial value? Are we really thinking about how we are benefiting people and not simply exploiting them? In other words, are we doing well and doing good? So if I go forward with that, I think that in this human-centered leadership world, it's about the ability to think through that calculus and step back and take some time to think about, hey, as a business leader, I've always created a business plan that says, here's why we need to invest. Here's the ROI that's going to come out of it. We're very used to that. How do we calculate human value? So in the book, we think about that human value as including two major components. One is what's the value we're creating for the individuals, the employees, the teams, and the organization that we work with. And the second is what is the human value we're creating for society at large? So you can imagine in that first case, one question that might be provocative to you, Malcolm, Mm -hmm. who participates in the creation of technology and who profits from that technology? Right. Uh, well, <laughs> great questions. Uh, I was about to ask you the same, um, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 quite obviously, quite obviously, I mean, it's it's data leaders, it's engineering leaders, it's business leaders are creating those, and today the profit. I mean, I guess you could take a cynical perspective and and say the the profit is purely at corporations, whether those are privately or, or publicly held, but I mean, I think you could make an argument that the profit is not necessarily just bottom line. I, I could, I think you could think of things like improvements in healthcare, right? Longevity, crop production, right? Those are all technological things, and profit could be societal as well as corporate, couldn't it? Absolutely. And who gets to share in that? Who gets to create it? So, if we think from the corporate side, one place to begin is to think about. When you stand up, um, you know, a new innovative team, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to create IP and that IP has a value. It could be patented um, and probably people have options, stock options that are related to the creation of this new company or this new strategy. Does everyone get to participate in that? Mm. Are you going to have a thousand X return for the CEO and a 0.5% return for the people who created the technology? Obviously, I'm exaggerating that, but those are some of the things that we need to begin thinking about so we don't exploit. We also think need to think about in the creation of that technology, who is at the table, who is creating that hardcore computing. Um, they're part of the people that will be named on the patent. They're the, the inventors. And who is assigned to doing QA work? Is that an equitable distribution across let's say, thinking about socio, um, social identities, thinking about race and gender. Um, those are all kinds of questions that we, we have to start thinking about. And then in the profiting of technology, there's a lot of discussion in, uh, from a societal level about who owns the data and should I be recompensed for the data? And um, how do I think about that? And then we think about, when I'm using the resources of a country, are they going to are they going to receive a good equitable valuation for the use of those resources? And am I going to replace those resources? 
So these are all part of this very extended question about human value. Okay, so you you just laid out probably a half a dozen massive rabbit holes that I could easily <laughs> fall down for 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 days on end, right? So so you touched on the notion kind of uh, of, of of equality. Um, and and this notion of what may be right from uh, a distribution of wealth perspective, uh, and 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 you know, is that equal or is that right? Is is that human centered, right? You touched on kind of the impact of of, of new technologies. You touched on data. Uh, I, I love that, like th this notion of data for good or who owns data. Do I own my own data or does somebody who collects it? own it man so, so so many questions so many questions i could ask here um one, one high level one uh cdos are increasingly being asked to participate and be even increasingly accountable for i will just loosely say esg and and i know that that is relative well it's not it's not poorly defined it's, it's from an acronym perspective it's it's relatively well defined but where, where do you see the the human center act you know that concept playing into ESG? Is it, is it like a foundational level that's just kind of sitting underneath all of ESG? How do, how do you view the, 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 the connection there? I think we see that there's a financial implication for um, all corporations right now in that shareholders, and I mean uh, the, the shareholders at the board level, the people who've invested in the company, investors, the PEs and VC companies, and even individuals who invest in portfolios are increasingly interested in how your company supports ESG and your ability to acquire um, finance for you know, ongoing initiatives is going to become increasingly linked to that. We see all kinds of new financial mechanisms, reporting mechanisms related to ESG. And then we also see brand implications where consumers want to know that you stand for something. And so the UN sustainability goals and how they roll into this environment, societal and governance goals are really important to think about both from a financial business case and from a human value case. I think it's a wonderful place to start and to really, you know, in part of this human centered leadership, is to raise these questions and have you start thinking about them. Because I think too often we're looking at what's the profit margin going to be? What's the scaling and implementation plan? What is the talent required? But we aren't thinking about how are we gonna compensate for data? How am I gonna replace the trees I just used? I'm, you know, I'm just giving ideas here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you can see where this is increasingly important. So when you were at the Center for Creative Leadership, were you looking and are you currently looking at more quantitative work that would help make a connection between business, I will loosely say business outcomes, whether that is shareholder equity, whether that is profit to the bottom line, but were you then or are you now looking at more research that can help organizations understand, aha, when I am more human-centered, Everybody benefits, not just the, the, the humans or the society or my employees, but the bottom line. It's a win-win. Is that something that you were focused on? And did you see that in your research? We can see that in close in. So um, one of the first places to start 
is when I am working with um, going back to how I create value for the internal team, mm -hmm. the employees, the team, the organization, that's easier to see, understand, and model than what I'll call distal um, variables like society at large, because so many things are at play. But if we start there, um, I think that the calculus for human value is also what we're doing for um, internally. And when I think about digital transformation, this relates to how we think about human-centered leadership as having levels. But I want to describe digital transformation and what I mean by that, because I think there's a lot of people that think about it as um, I am going to go through an automation process or I'm going to produce a product or a new data monetization product. And that's digital transformation. Right. We would argue that it's not an end game at all. And we use a definition by some researchers who produced a really great paper. Their name are Warner and Wager. And I'm just going to read it to you because I think it's really interesting. It's an ongoing process of strategic renewal that uses advances in digital technologies, and I would add data to that, mm -hmm. to build capabilities that refresh or replace an organization's business model, collaborative approach, and culture. In other words, you're preparing the organization for the constant disruption of technology and to be able to gracefully make that happen across the organization. And to do that, you have to understand how to create both the financial value and the human value for the teams so they can get digitally ready. Okay, So that's one place to start in thinking about how do I measure that human value? Um, and we can go more into that as well. I'm starting to get it, I think. <laughs> um, this really reminds me of a presentation I watched a couple of weeks ago at a CDO conference at MIT in Boston, where they were talking about quantum computing. And in the case of quantum computing, it was a completely different mindset, mindset because it wasn't zeros and ones. It was probabilities of zeros and ones. What I'm hearing you say is that this is about a different mindset. This is about a different way of working that isn't just zeros on the income statement. It's about something more, right? It, it, it's about working in a way that is in harmony with the environment, with societal goals, with individual goals that in theory would enable the zeros on the income statement. And, and, and I think, I, you know, in some of the research that I've done that there is early pre kind of preliminary research that is backing up focuses on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that says the more that we focus on that, the better the, co the company is from an output perspective or a productivity perspective. Um, and it seems like that's where things may be headed with this research. I, 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 find, this, I find this fascinating, but I love that quote because so often that you read, because so often the leaders that I talk to view transformation as a collection of time-bound tasks, right? It, it's, a, it's a delivery of an e-commerce platform, or it's the optimization of our supply chain, or it's a new customer experience on our website. And those things are great, don't get me wrong, but what you just described is fundamentally different than that and, 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 in, and inherently more fundamental. Well, first of all, I love that analogy of zeros and ones and quantum computing and changing that. And I hope to quote you in my book about that. That was a great oh, I hate, analogy. Happy to. 
And then, uh, but you're exactly right. It is absolutely without question, a shift in mindset because the ramifications of the technology that we are creating has changed from simply process automation to, I'm going to put a chip in your brain. I'm going to have a robot take care of your mother. These are very fundamental changes happening with technology. And the other thing that I think is important is that the rate of change is so fast that we can't think about a collection of products anymore. It has to be strategic renewal. And uh, one of the things we talk about in the book is the idea of punctuated equilibrium. Now, this comes from the natural sciences. But what it means is you're running the business, you run along, you run along, you're doing some incremental changes, you've got, you know, some, some things happening. And all of a sudden, everything was running fine, and then it's not. Something happened. Competitor came out with something that blew up what we know today about the competitive uh, world. COVID happens. And everyone is scrambling to say, we have to go much faster in the way that we develop vaccines. We have got to take this manufacturing site and turn it into manufacturing vents. And it used to manufacture cars. We had to change. We had to create a virtual world for people. That is what punctuated equilibrium is. And the idea of thinking about digital transformation as a process of strategic renewal means you're not going to get caught by that punctuated equilibrium. You're going to be digitally sensing and peeking around corners, and you're going to be fully focused on creating that future. Does that make sense? It, 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 yes, it makes complete sense. But let's let's get to some brass tacks here. So let's assume that I am a, a chief data officer, and I've, I've, I've got a, a team. I'm responsible for driving a data strategy, which would align to a lot of the things that you just said. Where would I where would I kind of start? Let's say that I've got a three to five year horizon here. What are some of the things that I would be that I should be thinking about in terms of my strategy to move us from where we are, the zeros and ones, the bottom line is all that matters. Digital transformation is a series of projects. How do we go from that, right, and and start to move to the world that you're describing? Because frankly, that that world sounds more compelling to me. Um, and it most certainly uh, it would sound more compelling to the to the data leaders that I've talked to over the last three years, who most of whom were caught incredibly flat-footed uh, uh, from COVID and from the supply chain shocks, and now from the war in Europe. So, so are, are there things that we can we can start to do as data leaders to kind of lay the groundwork to get to that that new future? Yes, and I'm going to talk about a scaffolding approach. Ooh, when like we that. look at the book, we think about the senior leadership group has to start it. And by senior leadership group, I mean the board, the CEO, and the executive team, the very top. Then the transformation has to happen across individual leaders, the teams that we lead, and creating that organizational digital readiness. You can't get to societal until that first foundation of the house is built. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I would say really surprised me in one way, but reflected my own experience, was that you cannot move forward with digital transformation is there, if there is no transformational mandate. Why are we doing this? If that why is not clear and doesn't clarify both 
here's how we're going to create financial value. And here's how we're going to create um, human value, maybe tying mm. to corporate purpose. The organization is going to flounder. They have to know why in order to create direction, alignment, and commitment. Direction is we know where we're going. Alignment is we know how we're going to get there. And commitment is we are, all of us, going to band together to make this happen. And too often, the senior leadership group doesn't make that clear because they are disagreed. They don't agree on this strategy. There's a lot of human vulnerabilities around this. And you have to remember that senior leadership group is literally betting the farm, right? It's their careers, their, um, you know, their wealth, their reputations. They are betting that. And if they are unsure, if they can't come together on this, the rest of the organization will flounder. So if you as a chief data officer say, I need to spend a billion dollars, I'm making numbers up totally, on a huge new data lake. And here's why. If the senior leadership group is not committed to digital transformation and the ownership and monetization of data, how we're going to protect it, how we're going to think about the, how it will do good as well and excite, excite and motivate our clients, you're not going to get that money and the organization is going to continue to flounder. I was surprised at how many conversations with digital transformation leaders or even le reading in the, in the literature, how often this doesn't exist. Mm. So start there, get the why and tie it to your corporate purpose. Many people, you know, many organizations have already done that. And then begin thinking about um, how you start to invest in the human capital. And in that first step, you'll be thinking about spending time on helping individual leaders um, really begin to go around a cycle of what we call digital sensing, which the senior leadership team needs to do as well. Figuring out what the possibilities are, translating them into a plan, and actually acting and making it happen. So where does it usually hang up? The best laid plans of mice and men, right? They right. can't everything's laid out and you can't get people to move forward. And that's where we start thinking also about managing teams. Mm -hmm. So, so you use the word scaffolding. I, I love it. I I'm, I'm an ex analyst. So uh, recovering analyst. So I love my frameworks and my scaffolds. Right. And so I, I think, you know, what, what I know you've laid out because uh, I've, I've looked at some of your research is this notion of a number of different polarities uh, as a as kind of the core of that scaffolding, the core of the framework. Now, I don't want to uh, give away the entire book, <laughs> but maybe maybe spend time, you know, going into one example of of one of those polarities within your within your scaffolding. Yeah. So, in this scaffold, we think about the scaffold as the senior leadership group, the individuals, the teams, the organization, and society, and. Within that, when we look at teams, there are, there's a notion of what we call polarities. And the idea is that there is a goal that needs to be achieved. And there are two competing things that need to be balanced to achieve that goal. But those things create a tension. And probably the one that's most prominent 
in this world of digital transformation is the idea of customer centricity. We need to keep the business running and we need to innovate. So chief digital officers, chief transformation officers, technology officers, CIOs talk about this as agile innovation and seamless integration. And when you think about the teams who are innovating, they are rewarded for taking risks. They're rewarding, rewarded for prototyping and making bets. They're rewarded for fast release of products. The seamless integration team is rewarded for protecting data, for making sure that you're compliant with GDPR, for making sure that whatever's produced integrates into the current platforms, both and. I have to innovate, I have to have business continuity. So one of the things that a leader to create human value has to do is really create the psychological safety for those teams to raise their hands and say, yes, and, both and. And so for the innovation group to hear from people, you are creating an AI algorithm that is gonna put our brand at risk. And for the team that manages, um, let's say governance or other things to, to listen to the innovation team and say, if you don't hand over that data, I can't produce the product. And you as a leader have to balance this tension and create that psychologically safe environment where those conversations happen. And it sounds so easy, but it is so not. Especially if the incentives are completely misaligned. That's right. And especially right. if they're incented in different ways. Right. And you can imagine, as, as one leader said, the core DNA of somebody in governance is not accepting a risk, right? And so you're dealing with very different orientations, but they're also incented in different ways. And that's a place to go and look. I think you just answered the question, or at least partially answered the question <laughs> of, of why do so many data and analytics leaders know that focusing on business outcomes is important, but continue to focus on technology? And the short answer there is, is they're incented to do so, right? They're not incented to, to be, you know, to take those innovative risks necessarily, at least from a product perspective. And there is more incentives, at least from a governance perspective, to, to be more on the defense, shall we say, than, than the offense. But I, I love that example that you gave. Um, and I know that you've got others coming in your book, but, but uh, it, it just really helps understand how difficult and tricky a tightrope that senior leaders today need to manage, right? This balance between society and, 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 and shareholder equity and even individual incentives within specific teams, like a product team or a project team. So uh, it's, it's fascinating stuff. So, so before we wind up, um, maybe if, if you could spend time uh, help, helping uh, and sharing insights, maybe around a specific use case. I know you, you probably can't talk about any companies, but can you share insights on a specific use case where, where you are aware that a company has implemented some of these uh, concepts and, and taken steps to become more human-centered and what is meant for that specific company? Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to refer to a multinational, very, very, very large chemical company. And in thinking through this idea of implementing digital transformation as a strategic process of renewal. Mm -hmm. One of the places that they had to start 
was with one of the polarities that often comes up is who gets to make a decision. Is it the CEO or is it the CDO or is it Joe on the front line? How do you think about that? And it gets in the way. So one of the first things that they did in this, in this thinking this through was our teams are going to be hung up if they can't make decisions in an agile way to keep up with the change, rate of change and everything coming at us. So they restructured the entire organization and within each business unit, they um, created a chief digital officer or not chief, but a digital officer and at a much lower level in the organization, gave them authority to make decisions about capital spend, but also put it on coming on them to ensure that whatever was being integrated would or developed would integrate into the current portfolio of digital products. And so each business unit became more autonomous in the way that they were able to do this. The second thing they did was they set up internal listening posts to make sure that all the perspectives from different people working on these projects could be shared. And that was extremely important as well. And they started doing things like measuring digital readiness for the company. What are your perspectives around how quickly we can make decisions, how quickly we can stand up technology, how well we're protecting data, and then we're able to use that to guide where they needed to invest in human capital development. Okay, so those are some of the ideas. And of course, they have many ways in which um, products started moving more quickly. They saw revenue from innovation products coming out. Um, they, they give an interesting example also of um, something that was going to require some investment. They work with various Part of the company works with very small um, uh, partners, and these small partners have a very small cash, <laughs> small amount of cash. And so, part of the issue was they did not have any technology to help them quickly process invoices and get paid while they were holding inventory. As you can imagine, that will kill a business. So the question became: Do we build out a platform, or do we not? And the answer was, yes, we're going to help these small business owners, even mm -hmm. though they're a small part of the business. So there's a lot of thinking around this that, that starts to say we value, there's human value in these stakeholders and partners in the ecosystem we built. We're not going to go to the most giant names in the world for this. And how do we help them stay in business? I love it. That's fantastic. And what a great way to end. Um, Cheryl Flink, thank you, Dr. Cheryl Flink. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm I'm going to take with me for today and probably several days to come and, and stew around this idea of digital transformation as a constant process of renewal. I, I absolutely love that. And I think our listeners uh, will take away a lot from our conversation today. I'm so excited about your book. I look forward to March of next year. I hope I can get a signed copy one day. That would be awesome. Absolutely, my pleasure. Okay, cool. But thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really, really appreciate it. And for our listeners and our viewers, thank you so much for spending a part of your day with us today on CDO Matters. I look forward to the next episode with you sometime soon.